We start the By the Way series this week. I'm excited about that. Um, I first encountered all church studies when I was on staff in this church a decade ago, and they were so impactful on me that I began bringing them to the other churches that I was a part of as well. So I'm excited for us to go through our first one together. This is exciting to me. Have you thought about the name, by the way? Uh, by meaning according to. It's kind of a play on words. It's, it's an emphasis on walking according to the ways of Jesus. So we'll focus on what it means to be a disciple. What do you think of when you think of discipleship? What images does it evoke in your mind? Discipleship. Because I don't know about you, but I think of a classroom and a boatload of information and you know, maybe a teacher trying to pull an answer and waiting for people to, to contribute. Um, and most of all, this underlying idea that seems to be behind so many of our discipleship efforts that if we can learn more stuff, if we can absorb more information and more knowledge and more trivia, we might be better disciples. But discipleship is not supposed to be merely about knowing stuff. Um, in fact, a person can know everything there is to know about Scripture, about Jesus, and still not know Jesus, still not follow Jesus. Discipleship is more than mere knowledge, though knowledge is important. Discipleship is not just about knowing things. Knowing God is an important part. Knowing about God is an important part of being a disciple. But it's just not the whole point. Knowing God is the point. And what I like about this book is it challenges us to think about our faith in bigger ways. Uh, wherever we are, there is room for us to grow. And so some of the things this book says is our faith is not merely. Our faith is not just. I, I pray that that would expand our horizons and challenge us to think maybe there's more for me. Maybe there's something bigger than this. The Christian faith is bigger and broader than we have realized. And my hope is that through this series, uh, we, will, we will come to know Jesus more and more. We're also going to spend the next seven weeks going through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 through 7, and that is a part of our workbook. If you are um, in possession of a Kindle copy or an ebook copy and do not have this workbook, be sure that you grab a copy of that. Um, you'll find that through the study, we will read sections of the Sermon on the Mount and we'll read each of them twice. And we'll ask, how does this passage speak to me? And then as we read it again, we'll ask, how does this passage speak to the ways that Jesus is bringing redemption to the world? Um, because the Sermon on the Mount has a way of evoking both of those questions. Not only what is Jesus doing in me, but what also might Jesus do through me? What kind of reality is created when God's people live according to their faith? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has a crowd around him and he's teaching them what it means to walk in his ways the Sermon on the Mount is about walking in the ways, according to the ways of Jesus. In fact, the, the whole Sermon on the Mount is leaning into the hope that we have in the realization of God's kingdom that he speaks about over and over again. It's about giving our lives to the now and not yet kingdom of God and anticipating the not yet as we live in the now. The, the Sermon on the Mount challenges us. It, it uproots assumptions and comfortable ways of living and calls us to live as completely devoted followers of Jesus according to the way of Jesus. And so my hope is that in the next 40 days we would think carefully about what it means to be a disciple and ways that we are pursuing discipleship and perhaps new ways that God calls us to pursue discipleship 
And if by the end of these 40 days, we feel like we have grown closer to Jesus, we're taking steps to grow closer to Him, this time together will have been a success. We're going to read today, and I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. And before we read the Scripture, let us pray. Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts today, that we would allow your written word to do something new in our hearts and in our lives, that we would be more like you. We pray that by the power of your Spirit, these would be more than merely words on a page, but truth for our souls, nourishment for our lives. Speak to us we pray, and we are listening. Amen. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of my favorite internet jokes, um, memes, is, is an old one now called, There Was an Attempt. And there's a picture, an image that they'll show you, of some sort of failure. And at the top, it'll just say, there was an attempt. And of course, it didn't go right. So I want to just show you a few of my favorites. Um, there was an attempt to paint a road, right? Not quite as, we, as they planned it. Um, this, this one, there was an attempt to decorate a cake. Uh, that looks about like my cake, cake decorating skills. And this is my favorite. There was an attempt to make a club jacket. Um, you see with the hood down, it's a very different message. <laughs> so I want to tell you this morning some of my failed attempts throughout my life. I have attempted to pursue spiritual growth without discipline. I've attempted to follow Jesus without first bothering to try and get to know him. I've attempted to grow as a Christian by fixing myself according to my own strength without relying on the Holy Spirit. I've attempted to be a disciple without surrendering anything in my life. And I've attempted to follow Jesus without participating in a community of faith. How well do you think those attempts worked? They, they didn't. I wanted to lay claim on Jesus instead of letting Jesus lay claim on me. There was an attempt, but it failed. This passage is not about the things Jesus wants you to attempt to do. Any attempt would fail. This is not a list of, of who's who or instructions for piety. Jesus is certainly not making an observation about the way the world's 
values are structured, the way the world works according to its values, these blessings are neither practical nor idealistic. This is not a series of rewards. Jesus is not saying, try hard to live like this. There may be attempts to understand this passage in those ways, but ultimately, those ways of reading this passage would fail. The blessings Jesus describes are not for people who strive to live according to the descriptions he gives. They're for people who already embody the qualities he describes. This is a description of the lens through which Jesus sees the world. Jesus looks into the world and he sees the poor in spirit, the the mourners, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, all those who he lists. And while the rest of the world looks at those things as failures and weaknesses, Jesus pronounces blessing upon them, perhaps even sees blessing hidden within their circumstances. Because as he turns our upside down world right side up, the people who are on the bottom find themselves on top, and the people who are on top will no longer be those who have stepped on others in order to get there. They won't be the power seekers or the people who felt the need to prove themselves among others. They'll be people who have always counted themselves among the least. But there are blessings in his words for today, too. Not just future blessings for, for the great reversal of an upside down and backwards way the world is structured, there are present blessings as well. The meek are not cursed with a lust for power. The pure in heart are not cursed with evil temptations for those practicing, uh, of those practicing wickedness. And the persecuted are not the persecutors. I mourn for the persecutors even more than for the persecuted, because the heart of the persecutor is lonely and fearful and broken, and the heart of the persecuted is because their righteousness belongs to Christ. In fact, the Beatitudes, they can be reversed. You could point to the curses of power faced by those who the world considers important and powerful. Cursed are the self-sufficient. They will not so readily experience the provision of God for his people. Cursed are those who do not mourn to stare into the face of tragedy and and human pain and remain unmoved is more dehumanizing to the one who is unmoved than to the one who is experiencing tragedy. Cursed are the powerful. The time spent protecting power is joyless, but the time spent serving others is filled with joy. The message that Jesus speaks in many ways is counterintuitive. In his culture and in our own, we have been taught to value things that Jesus just doesn't value. And we often fail to value the things that he does. We value power. We think highly of the powerful, but power comes at a great expense. It alienates us from others. It causes people to be bitter and jealous. It makes us the center of the world's criticism. Power is valued and envied in our culture, but it can be a curse. But meekness is anything but envied. And Jesus says, blessed are the meek, those who are humble and gentle in their dealings with others, because those are truly valuable qualities. Those are things that God will use. The world sees them as weakness. Christ sees them as strengths. These blessings, they they point ahead of us. They point to the order of the kingdom of God that Jesus is bringing about in his day and in ours. But these blessings can be observed right now as well. And part of discipleship is learning to see with kingdom eyes. What is the blessing in our weakness? 
How might Jesus triumph through our failures? We've been taught to see things in one way, but what if Jesus can open our eyes to a new perspective? Seeing the world through the eyes of the kingdom of God, that's only one part. Living according to the ways of the kingdom of God, that's the other. And the truth is, we cannot just be everyday disciples because discipleship is not an everyday sort of thing, a ordinary, casual sort of thing. Discipleship is radical. And I know that's a loaded word, radical. Sold out. Discipleship is sold out. Discipleship is all in. It's, it's all or nothing. He must become greater and I must become less. Approach to life. Discipleship is about letting go of excesses and pursuing the vision of Christ. It's about developing eyes that see his kingdom and faith that trusts in it and lives that live according to it and hearts that value it and are being aligned to it. And all of that, all of that is the work of the Holy Spirit but it also isn't passive. We don't sit back and allow it to happen. It's the work of the Holy Spirit, but it's a work that we pursue. The Spirit transforms us, but we practice this transformation. We faithfully lean into the work of God in our lives. We pursue it, and we embrace what's happening in our lives as the Spirit works in us. But we also recognize that anything we gained is gained for Him, and it's gained because of Him. It's almost paradoxical. We pursue it to allow it to happen in the same way that we die, that we might live, in the same way that we surrender in order that we might know victory. We're going to spend a few moments just looking through each of these blessings, not nearly as much time as, as they all deserve, just a few seconds on each one. But first, I, I want to just say two things. Um, a word about the kingdom of heaven. When we hear these words, the word heaven is the one that tends to stick out to us. Jesus is not talking about heaven. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is how Matthew's gospel expresses the same idea as Luke's gospel when Luke says the kingdom of God. Matthew's written to a Jewish audience and, and they wouldn't use the, the name or title of God. Heaven then becomes an expression of this idea of God's kingdom. And the second thing is, the phrase poor in spirit is one that we might not use or hear in everyday conversation. And it isn't talking about people who are practicing poverty intentionally. And it isn't talking about someone with a, a spiritual deficiency of some kind. It's talking about the poor who manifest a spirit or an attitude appropriate to their condition, namely humility and dependence on God. And so Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are entirely dependent on God. He says, why? Because they are entirely dependent on God. And through their dependence, they know him to be faithful. They know him to be faithful. They're not blessed because of their future participation in God's kingdom, but because of their present assurance of God's provision. Blessed are the poor in spirit. They don't have to wait to discover someday that God provides for them. They know it now. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I might be wrong about this. I, I, I'm pretty sure I'm not, but I might be. But I don't think that, that the mourning here is described, that Jesus describes as because something sad has happened. They're not, for example, mourning a person's death. I think the mourning is about 
the way the condition of death has infected humankind. I think the mourning is because our hearts are estranged from God. I think the mourning is because the world is broken and injustice is everywhere to be seen. And those who mourn, blessed are they because they see it. Because they haven't accepted that that's just the way the world is. That, I think, is the saddest form of, of surrender, of giving up, to say, that's just the way the world is. It's a resignation because it discounts any possibility that Jesus can redeem it. So blessed are those who mourn the brokenness that surrounds us. They'll be comforted by the hope that we have in Christ for something better and the signs of the inbreaking kingdom of God by the ways he brings redemption to our lives and our world. Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek. There are two other times when, when the Greek word for meek, which is praise, is used in Matthew's gospel, and both describe Jesus. Once in verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 29, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am praise. I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest in your souls. And again, in, in chapter 21, verse 5, he says, say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, praise, gentle, and riding on a donkey. Meekness, gentleness. The meek are the non-threatening, the non-imposing, the gentle, the humble, the approachable, the kind. Blessed are those who are humbled before the greatness of God, who do not act like they're better than others and who are not hard to approach because they put on airs of greatness, who do not think of themselves as smarter or having better insight or a better grasp of the truth or insider information that everyone else is, is just too, too dumb to know because they, they see Jesus, they know him, they are rendered small before him. Blessed are those who think of themselves as small before a great and mighty God. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Righteousness is not about personal ethics. When you hear the word righteousness in scripture, untrain your mind from its natural tendency to think about piety and good behavior and personal ethics. That is not what righteousness is in scripture. Righteousness is about relationship. Blessed are those who stand rightly before God and others, who seek out justice on behalf of victims of injustice, who participate with God in the setting of the world right, who care about the widow and the orphan, who are repentant of sin. Righteousness is about being in right relationship with God which is the work of Christ in our lives. It's about becoming aligned with Jesus's cause, which is the redemption of all things. Righteousness is about the broken being made whole and living in right relationship with God and creation. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. But can I be honest with you? I, I wanna say, nope, no, that, no, Jesus, you got this one wrong. A person can show mercy and there is no guarantee that the world will be merciful in return. We know better than that, don't we? We, we know that we are not to show weakness because weakness is exploited. Uh, mercy is a weakness that the world wants to destroy. Uh, Cobra Kai, you know, sleep, sweep the leg. If, if you're a child of the early 90s, show no mercy. But, but these blessings were never intended to describe the way the world works according to its own wisdom, but according to the wisdom of God. Blessed are the merciful, those who give compassionately, for they will be recipients of God's compassion. Blessed are those who show mercy to others because they know the power of mercy, of forgiveness, of love. They're blessed because they are participants in it. 
in something greater than themselves. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Those who are not double-minded, but who love God single-mindedly with all their heart, with a purity of intention, blessed are those whose affections are aimed at Christ alone. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. This may be the hardest. This isn't speaking of people who live in peace or enjoy the fruits of peace. This is speaking of those who devote themselves to the hard work of reconciling hostile individuals and families and groups and nations. There is nothing wishy-washy or even passive about these words. These are active peacemakers. These are the ones who absorb the world's chaos and injustice into themselves rather than perpetuating it and paying it forward, knowing Jesus will be victorious through them. If you spend time thinking about this one, I promise you will be challenged. Think about how divisive this last year has been. Uh, Some of us have found ourselves deep in divisive disagreements. Others of us have fled, refusing to take part in what might become divisive conversations. And some of us have chosen to cast aside disagreement for the purposes of unity, even when it is costly to us. Blessed are those who would rather pursue reconciliation than the last unkind word. Blessed are those who value their relationship more than they value being right. Blessed are those who put themselves second in order to serve the needs of others and the purposes of peace. Blessed are those who willingly sacrifice on behalf of others. Blessed are those who accept the cost of peacemaking. And blessed are those especially who never see the fruits of their peacemaking efforts. Because we are people who war with our families, our neighbors, our enemies. And when we run out of people to war with, we war with our friends and we war with ourselves. We are not people who often see the fruits of peacemaking. So blessed are the ones who persist. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You are blessed when you are maligned for your faithfulness to Christ. Do you know why? It is because you have been faithful to Christ, and Christ remains faithful to you always. That may not look like deliverance from your persecution, but praise God for the opportunity to remain faithful all the same. Praise God for the opportunity to look a little more like the one who went to the cross on our behalf. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you falsely, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Hostility is to be expected. We stand in the tradition of women and men who have been for generations before us and generations before Jesus persecuted for their faith. No one wishes to be persecuted, but when persecution comes, praise God for good company. N.T. Wright says about the Beatitudes, Jesus is not suggesting that these are simple, simply timeless truths about the way the world is, about human behavior. If he was saying that, he was wrong. Mourners often go uncomforted. The meek don't inherit the earth. Those who long for justice frequently take that longing to the grave. This is an upside-down world, or perhaps a right-way-up world. And Jesus is saying that with his work, it's starting to come true. This is an announcement, not a philosophical analysis of the world. 
It's about something that's starting to happen, not about a general truth of life. It's the gospel, good news, not good advice. The problem is that this is all very counterintuitive. It's hard for us to trust in these realities, and even if we trust them, can we trust the God who calls us to live by them enough to give our lives over to them? Even if we believe with our hearts that these things can be true, do we have the discipline to lend our lives to these truths? The blessings of this passage are not immediately apparent. No, the blessings are only discovered when our hearts are bent toward the desires of Christ. When our sole desire is, your kingdom come, your will be done, do these blessings begin to emerge. Only then does the illusion of weakness begin to fade so that we can see strengths in the very things that the world once, that we once considered weak. The blessings do not describe the way the world knows itself to work. But can we say by faith that there is a better way? That the way of Jesus was victorious in his time and is victorious in ours? Do we live according to the hope that we find in him or have we fallen for the world's illusions? Do we trust in our own broken ways, our own insufficient efforts, and live according to the world's description of the way things are? I expect these next 40 days to challenge us. I pray they pull us out of areas of comfort and invite us to surrender our comfort and our assumptions and to pursue Christ. But I also believe that if we do, all that we lose will be for our gain. Because if you'll if you'll humor me and, and allow me to give my best shot at one of these. Blessed is the one who gives all they have to God, for they will be co-heirs with Christ, recipients of all of the blessings of God. Blessed is the one who walks by the way of Jesus, for they will be called followers of the Lord Most High. Blessed is the one who lives today according to the realities of tomorrow, for the kingdom of God is manifest in their lives. Will you pray with me? Lord, it is a blessing to know you, a blessing to be called your children. We know that following you does not rid us of difficulty. It does not promise that we will not suffer. It does not assure that there will not be hardship. But we know by faith there is blessing in all that we do in pursuit of you we pray that we would have eyes to see that blessing faith to walk according to your ways that your strength would be our strength and we would not lean upon our own but upon yours we pray Lord that you would do new things in our lives and as you do new things in us you would do new things through us. As you, as your peace becomes our peace, Lord, make us peacemakers. As you redeem our lives, Lord, make us redeemed redeemers. As you bring sanctification to our lives, let us be sanctifiers of your creation, participants with you in your good work. As we are reconciled to you, make us reconcilers of one another. 
let us follow you more closely day by day, Lord. We give you praise, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.